Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today I'm wrapped to have Jack Howe with me. Jack's run with the group for the last couple of years. I've nicknamed him Jumping Jack. Um, I'm wrapped to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Jack. Oh, thanks, Dane. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, introduce yourself to the audience um, and to the listeners. Um, uh, let's try to un- understand and get to know Jack. Yeah, um, of course. So, yeah. uh, my name's Jack Howell. I'm yeah. a paratriathlete and I am 19 years old, so just one year out of school. Um, I am the youngest on the Australian team, or used to be actually, youngest on the Australian team by a fair chunk. Uh, it's about eight years. I am the youngest on my in my class in the world by about six years, and I am um, in my second year of international racing for paratriathlon. Jeez. Um far out so what classification is it that you're in so i'm in uh pts5 which is um if you looked at it on a spectrum it's pretty much the least impaired uh triathletes so there's about seven classes um at the moment ranging from obviously we've got wheelchair blind and then we've got four standing categories as well so we've got um pts2 which is like a dual amputation so that's people missing two legs or two arms even yeah. um there's we've got the threes which is like a major amputation or like two so you might have like uh, missing a full leg and maybe a shoulder is not right or something like that and then we've got fours which is uh, a little bit less significant so maybe missing like a leg from the knee down or maybe missing sort of half an arm and then you've got the fives which is minimal impairments that's things like club foot missing hands missing sort of forearms and stuff so yeah, pretty um, pretty decisive. Um, a lot of people get either put on one or one side or the other, and you know, classification is probably one of the most controversial things in para sport. Like um, being told that you're within a certain disability range can sometimes be good, and sometimes people don't really like it. So yeah, yeah. What was the process of getting classified? I remember um, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, you going through that that whole. Um, process uh, yeah let us know like, how, how does it go like what happens so I've actually had the ability to be classified in nearly three sports well three sports nearly four so um, back in the day I was when I was about 10 I went for a running classification and got knocked back sort of a stab in the dark just wanted to try see my luck a little bit yeah um and obviously um if you know people like michael roger and those sorts of people that's sort of the class i was trying to get into so yep. 
a little bit more than what I'm missing. So um, obviously got knocked back. And then from there went to like swimming and cycling and then triathlon. And the process really is similar across most sports. It usually consists of some sort of physio assessments that's like you know assessing how like long limbs are and things like that your range of motion your muscle strength and stuff like that as well as like a like almost like a points system so you get like a rating out of five in every sort of section of your body so whether that's you know fingers hand range of motion your elbow length of forearm stuff like that yep so for me, when I went for my um, swimming one, I got straight into S10, which is pretty stock standard. The good thing about swimming is they have quite a range of classifications. So I just mentioned triathlon has about six or seven classes. Swimming has about 15. So yeah, okay. they've got, they cater for quite a lot more of disabilities. And same, cycling's a bit similar to triathlon. There's five, but I guess cycling as well, you're sort of limited to more of a lower body sort of catering considering cycling is your legs most but still um, I'm a C5 in cycling as well so pretty similar to triathlon but then triathlon is sort of where it gets a little bit sketchy because you're trying to classify three different sports and their sort of involvement in the whole sport of triathlon as well as someone's ability and strength and range of motion and stuff so for me I when I first got classified I actually got knocked back um, had nothing to do with the process or anything. It was just um, that was what the assessors gave me based on the information they had and the tests they did. But so luckily for me, you're entitled to a review with a completely different panel. And for me, when I was I was 16 at the time, so I was quite fresh. Um, and for me, it was sort of a wake up call to realize that I've got to take things a bit more seriously. Um, because in swimming and cycling, I pretty much just rocked up and got in yep. and I was guaranteed. Whereas triathlon, I actually had to sort of plead my case a little bit. Yep. So um, luckily for me, usually a review happens the next available classifiable race, which usually gives someone maybe a month and they usually have to go overseas. But luckily for me, that was when COVID hit. So probably one of the only positives <laughs> to come out of COVID was I actually had two years pretty much to sort of gather some information and get some testing done through uh, the VIS and also through you as well and a few other physios about just sort of a general consensus of what I should be telling them because in a way it's almost like a job interview. You have 90 minutes to plead your case um, on something that's so influential because if I had not gotten the review, um, I would have not been able to do triathlon unless there's a rule change, which rarely happens in triathlon. So it usually happens after a Paralympics and it's usually something minor. So I was, it was a big day. Um, yeah. and luckily for me, I, yeah, like I said, I went to the VIS, got a bunch of, um, stroke rate testing done, um, a lot of, um, like strength testing done and lots of like range of motion and stuff like that. And actually was able to explain that it's not just my lower hand, it's actually, Things like shortened forearm, decreased elbow range of motion, decreased shoulder range of motion, muscle hypertrophy, um, size, strength, everything down to like even like hip tilt and like different leg lengths and stuff like that. So I probably went a bit overkill, but luckily for me, it meant that instead of being one point over in 1200 points, I was now six points under. So like I said, those like range ratings of five they all get added up and they equal about 1200 and if you're under 1200 you can be a five and if you're over you can't do triathlon pretty much so it's pretty pretty cutthroat but i'm lucky i'm on the other side of the spectrum now so yeah 
Jack, you've explained that really well. Um, that's that's a great insight. And so now, you where are you ranked in the world in your category? So at the moment, we've got two rankings currently running. So one of them's the general world ranking, which happens every year, and that's basically a, a sum of your three best races in terms of points this current year, and then your last three races of the year before that, and then they get divided into three. So it's technically simplest way of putting it is your four best races added up in points. So this year, um, at the end of this year, I'll be sixth. Um, there shouldn't be too much more changing towards the end of the year, which um, for me, coming from where I started last year, being in the in the thirties, I've come quite a long way. So <laughs> from thirtieth to sixth in yeah about probably eight months. Um, and then we've got another one running at the same time, which is now the Paralympic um, ranking. So that's only goes for a year, and that goes from july this year to the end of june next year and basically that's just your three best races of the year and really the aim for that is to be in the top nine and that's their sort of cutoff for qualifying for the paralympics and luckily for me after my race last week in worlds i'm sitting in seventh so yeah pretty Jeez. sitting pretty <laughs> so what are your chances of making paris 2024 so obviously we're still what is it, about eight, ten months out of the Paralympics. Yeah. Um, so there's still a lot of room for movement. There's still a lot of change that will probably happen on the rankings. But as long as I sort of stay consistent and get um, a couple more podiums in the Australian races and one overseas one, I should be well and truly um, looking at having a seat for Paris. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> Jeez, that's very exciting. And so you mentioned um, you're racing athletes that are – a fair bit older than you. Um, how have you gone this year and last year with that transition um, into the uh, onto the world stage from from domestically, um, and then also going up against uh, the open athletes? Yeah, so I think luckily for me, I was always um, sort of included in the high performance environment. I've always never been too far away from the top guys. And also, luckily for me as well, I grew up racing juniors. So for me, that was racing people fully abled the same age as me, which was challenging, of course, but I absolutely loved it. And I pretty much can put a lot of credit to my current career based on how hard I hit juniors. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, it, it sounds easier than it probably feels, but it was just like rinse and repeat racing just for racing. And obviously, sometimes that caught me off guard. Like, even my first international race debuting, I got a double flat, which I've never had in my whole triathlon career. So um, I think that sort of, that eagerness and um, that sort of willingness to just brush it off as another race sort of caught up to me real quick. Um, but at the same time as well, I had to, you know, I had to either mature and, um, look at the world stage as the world stage or be immature still. So I think in a way I matured very quickly being that my competitors are like, a, like you said, a lot older, they're a lot more, um, decisive and they're a lot more, um, full on, I'd still, like I'm still, <laughs> still quite chipper and probably, <laughs> probably a bit too mouthy, but, um, all credit to me, I still race, um, as hard as I do. So um, bit different if I probably wasn't getting the results, I might have to, um, <laughs> quiet down a little bit, but there's always, 
there's always room to be more professional and everything. And I think um, as long as you know when to be professional and then also just to you know enjoy life a little bit, as long as you've got that balance down pat, you're sort of pretty well. And like, I can't say it was all smooth running. I did have my family come over with me last year because I'd never been overseas before. And that helped quite a lot. That helped me sort of just race the race and not worry too much about, you know, where we're staying, what flights to catch, those things. Um, and then eventually, like this year, I have transitioned to where I've travelled solo the whole year. I mean, I have had the team here and there, but most of the time I'm on a plane by myself and getting connections and things like that by myself. So, yeah. Mate, what are your goals? Um, so... My goals, I feel, um, haven't changed since when I was about 10. Yeah. And that was um, to either make the AFL or <laughs> to be a Paralympian. And um, obviously, I've gone quite far down the Paralympian pathway. And I think, you know, I grew up watching majority of the Olympics, but also the Paralympics and watching people like Donny Algen and um, people like that who just raced for Australia and, you know, gave it a fair crack. And especially when the Paralympics was, you know, trying to make a name for itself in, like, events like, you know, like, um, Sydney and, like, Beijing and, like, London and those sort of crucial Paralympic years where it sort of went from, like, a side event to becoming, like, the main event. I think watching people actually take it seriously made me realise that this is, like, it's a big goal, like, and it hasn't changed since, like, you know, I'm closer than ever. Um, being that, yeah, we're probably, like I said, 10 months out of the Paralympics and I'm really close to qualifying and it's exciting, but I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's scary. Like, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm racing the best I ever have and like, it's good to be able to actually take a step back now. Now that I've got a bit of time where I don't have any racing coming up and like that because, um, last year the season was longer because, um, we had a few delays with like COVID and stuff. So I had to push the season out a few months which meant that our grand final race, the world champs, was in the end of November, which meant that pretty much there was no time to have, like, have down. Like, it was pretty much back straight into racing the next year. So I've pretty much not stopped racing nonstop for about 18 months, which um, caught up to me towards the end. I was pretty knackered of having to go to Europe for two yeah. weeks and then come back for four. Um, so, and um things like you know uni and other things sort of didn't really help in that sort of thing like I am I live well when I have a lot going on I feel like that helps me just to realize that um you know I can sometimes get too caught up in the mindset of triathlon and things like that so being a little bit busy helps me to sort of um balance everything out but it also catches up to me sometimes but I think at the end of the day um you know I have the ability to gauge on sort of where my future looks and definitely for the next year I, I'm back so eager for the Paralympics. <laughs> that's that's so cool. Um, have you thought past Paris um, at all or is it just all just all just thinking about Paris? Well obviously um, being like when Brisbane was announced that was like for me I've heard from a lot of, like I said, those ex-Paralympians like Donny Algen and people like that who have said that Paralympics is one thing, but a home Paralympics. <laughs> so a lot of them went to Sydney yeah. and they said there's like nothing like it. And like, so when Brisbane was announced, I really was just like, oh, wowee. <laughs> and for me, looking at it, that's when I'll be um, in sort of the 
they say like the the fittest age of your life being about you know like late twenties, um, and a home home Paralympics. I think that like that for me, Paris is the next goal, but I think Brisbane is probably the ultimate goal. I feel yeah, like. yeah. like if I'd race really well there, you'll be like in your peak, ticked like, off everything, yeah. you know, just done all the tick boxes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think your attitude is awesome, Jack, because I've witnessed it over the last couple of years. Just that um, running training, um, you've rocked up regularly. Um, to do some of your runs with the group down here um, on the peninsula. Um, your attitude in terms of your disability is sort of along the lines of like someone like Jared Clifford or I've had a, a, um, I've been lucky to work a little bit with Michael Rogar, Jared and Sam Harding, Dion Kenzie. Um, and you don't let it limit you. Um, you just adapt, go on and just enjoy life and make it as full as, as possible. Has this always been the case? And um, uh, what advice do you have to others in terms of disability? Well, I think um, it's a really good question because I think a lot of people with disability have, there's usually only two mindsets really, and that's the people that you see out every day, like your people like your Jared Cliffords and like Sam Harding. Like I know Sam personally. He's a funny guy, yeah. because like, he, um, he's just recently come to triathlon as well. Yeah. And oh, sometimes he, he loves a beer, I'll tell you yeah, that. He does. And you can't think a blind person can get him more blind, but he can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, I think um, I'm, I forget sometimes that I'm surrounded by a lot of these like-minded disabled people. And for me, I can really just put it down to the facts of how I was raised, really. Yep. Um, my parents... Obviously, they've told me stories of when they first found out about my disability. And of course, um, like every new parent, as you would probably imagine, it's scary for a, a while, actually. they, Especially when I was born, there wasn't a lot. Um, pretty much the only disabled people they sort of knew were Paralympians or people that were <laughs> performing yeah. at the highest level. And my parents sort of just took the attitude on of, well, he's still a kid. We'll still raise him how we originally you know thought out yeah. to raise a kid um and obviously there's a few different things you have to consider like you know you're always going to have a little bit of um you know like school you're going to have a little bit of bullying and stuff like that yep. but i feel like it's no different to anyone else um i have a really like deep down sort of thought processes about like some disabled people being almost entitled um and i very much am aware of like not teetering that line of, you know, knowing what you need as a disabled person to, you know, function properly and be the same as everyone else, but not expecting too much. Because I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of people, um, tend to think that they're the only ones getting bullied or the other only ones getting scrutinized and things like that. And really it just comes down to how they're setting themselves up. If you allow yourself to get bullied or you're allowing yourself to not be able to live by yourself as a functioning person. Fair enough, if you do need a care and things like that, that's obviously fair enough. But if you're constantly limiting yourself, you're going to get that scrutiny back, if that makes sense. So I think um, I've always just gone... I think I that's only speaking from someone with my disability, which is quite minimal. Like, you know, the only things I sort of struggle with is perceptions really and once i sort of prove people wrong that's how i usually move forward same same as if you're in primary school i had the choice when i was younger i wanted to stand out but i didn't want to um stand out for the wrong reasons so i 
for some reason, sport really drew to me. I loved, you know, like watching footy as a kid and I always played Oz kick and things like that. And I found that when playing sport, people didn't really look at you as, you know, the disabled kid. It was just like some kid that was doing really well at sport. Um, and that's how I sort of fit in in my sort of local area. I was known for the kid that was really good at sport, not the kid that was disabled and yep. felt sorry for himself. I think that's obviously my views and I understand that I'm very privileged with my story and how I was raised and my disability, but I feel like the attitudes that I see every day from disabled people are very similar. It's just crack on and get done with it sort of thing. Um, it's the same as being an elite athlete. We're all elite athletes. I still train with able-bodied people and things yeah. like that. I'm not asking for, you know, more more sort of benefits to me just because I feel sorry for myself. I'm just asking for the same. And I yeah. think people like Dylan Alcott and Jared Clifford and people like that really are advocating that side because I think it's like everything. If you go too far in the in what seems like the right direction, you end up going too far, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. When you stop advocating for disability, I don't think you can stop, but at the same time, you have to know when you're asking for more than what everyone else is getting, if that makes sense, to, to an extent. But yeah, really it just comes down to sort of, I guess, the people that I've been surrounded by. So I've had really good role models, people like, um, I can't even name more of them yeah. really, there's too many to choose from. But um, I think being in Parasport, I'm very lucky to have those role models because they're surrounded by me every day. Yeah. Um, but, like, definitely, I think it's just a mindset, really. Um, I've had, you know, and that's not to say I haven't had, like, scrutiny. I've, you know, had coaches not want to coach me. I've had um, Vic Rhodes tell me I can't get a license and things like that. So it's just about finding ways around it, really, because, you know, you're going to get it. <laughs> At the end yeah. of the day, you're a disabled person, you're different. You're going you're gonna to cop some. So as long as you know how to deal with it, that's really how you set yourself up. With the Vic Rhodes license thing like how did you work through that like because you're obviously a good driver <laughs> i've seen you drive yeah well <laughs> um so vic Rhodes is very um is like known for just being sort of cutthroat about those things yeah. so i was allowed to go for my learners but then when i was signing the forms on the way out to then take my learners the lady at the front desk sort of saw my hand and was like oh i think i have to tell my manager about this and then they came out and basically said that I needed a driving assessment before I was allowed to actually drive on the road. And I like credit to my mother as well. She helped me quite a lot with these sort of cases. But we pretty much argued the fact that how am I supposed to have a driving assessment when I've never driven a car? Yeah. <laughs> I was still just going for my learners at the time. So yeah. I'd never actually driven a car, if that makes sense. So they said that uh, in about six months' time, I'd have to have a driving assessment to give me time to actually know how to drive a car. Yep. And then sort of an assessor will sit in the back of the car, pretty much like your peas, really, and sort of grade you on how good you are or how able you are to drive. So it was very, very sort of um, confronting because like it seems like every day in Paris, but like I was saying with classification, it's very cutthroat, like, someone was deciding whether I could drive or not based on someone who'd be driving for six months. <laughs> so um, that side of it was very full. And luckily for me, um, I was a good driver, so they, they let me through. And we actually found an assessor as well that had dealt with similar cases like mine before. Because the thing is as well, there's not many, um, not many 
people have actually gone through that process a lot of them just give up sort of thing um and that's what comes back to that mindset um you know you, ha- you can't be entitled so i can't expect them to just give me my license because i understand as well that they're trying to determine whether i'm safe to drive on the road or not but at the same time i'm not going to not plead my case as well um so you can either sit down and take it and catch the bus everywhere <laughs> or yeah. um try and fight for your story so um and yeah so eventually i got it and then i then ironically vic roads um doing what vic roads does they forgot to mention to their like administration like center that i'd actually passed the assessment oh. so then my license got cancelled because i'd failed the assessment stuff like that so i had to ring them up and make sure that they actually cleared me and then again when i went for my p's uh, they actually because i was going for my manual license as well so i didn't want to just get a normal license i went to, i went all the way so <laughs> not only did they not think i could have a license but i was trying to go for my manual as well so um and yeah so then they were like whispering in the background and stuff and basically the um I had my so I had an instructor so I had like I got lessons and stuff so I had an instructor sitting there and they were um talking with the assessor as well and basically the assessor was sort of saying oh you know we're a bit skeptical about manual license we might just have let him go for his auto and the instructor also the guy who had been doing lessons with me actually stepped in and said I've seen this guy drive manual yeah. and he's my best student you're gonna <laughs> let you're gonna let him drive the manual car today nice. and they're like oh all right then so they you know they okay. sat in and I passed obviously so yeah first attempt as well so yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so I think you got to know when to fight the fight and when to just um you know look at like I said back like at the start um, you got to know when you're being too entitled, but also you got to know when to fight as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, everyone should be allowed to get a license unless you're physically not fit to drive. And I understand their precautions and why they do these things, but yeah, it's very, very cutthroat. And I mean, I sort of don't get caught up in it too much. A lot of people do get very um, caught up in those sort of processes. I'm sort of more on the side of like, I get why, but I'm still going to prove my case anyway. So yeah. like, I know, I, I'm not the political type. I'd rather just get my license to be done with it. I don't need to make them feel sorry for making me feel sorry, yeah. if that makes sense. I'd rather just get through it and move on. Um, I'm sure when I'm older and when I care a bit more, it might, <laughs> it might come through. But, like, you know, I, I like it's the same with, um, you know, like, like uni courses and stuff. It's always the first question because every medical document you fill out, you have to, you have to write it down, you know. Um, so, and as long as they listen to my story and, um, you know, listen to everything that I say and sort of what, what I'm sort of pleading, it usually tends to be, um, a good result anyway. So, yeah. You have done a little bit of public speaking already, um, uh, going around to some schools and and things like that. Um, like you've learned a fair bit, like just with like hardships, like the one that you just talked about um and and getting through it like what what do you feel like um some of the messages that you often like preach or give are like in those talks and and what ones do you feel like um you really are passionate about like um trying to get across to people um like is there something that drive like do you with your triathlon and stuff like that is is there a deeper like purpose to your triathlon like with the public speaking that you do um uh it's a bit of a 
long-winded mm. question. No, but, uh, yeah, so yeah. I think um, with a lot of the public speaking I've done, um, mainly with like the VIS, they sort of have their message they're trying to send out as well. So the reason why schools come to them is part of like a fitness sort of preach, if that makes sense. They're trying to promote like healthy, yeah. active lifestyles. And for me, that's a really easy topic to talk about because um, I think that sport is great yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of a lot of things, not only just being fit and getting outside, but everything down to your mental um, benefits and everything like that, learning about diets and things like that. I think it really is the foundation for a good life. Um, some people like me and you take it a bit seriously, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. I still think being outside and being active um, is a really great foundation for a lot of things, um, even to the point where recently I've been filling out um, my application for like a new uni course and about teaching. And funnily enough, um, I found that I can't talk about teaching too much because I haven't really had experience teaching because I'm not a teacher, obviously. Yeah. But I was talking a lot about how sport has a lot of those aspects, things like organizing, you know, planning, making yeah. sure you set clear goals, things yeah. like that, learning to recover from like setbacks and stuff like that. And the more you think about it, the more you realize that, you know, like sport is actually really powerful and you probably, probably sounds a little bit preacherful, but, um, I think, yeah, I like when I'm speaking to um, schools and things like that, I obviously tell them my story and who I am and, you know, bring them through a few stories like about the classification and, you know, how you can sort of not giving up and things like that can help, you know, bring you through and then all of a sudden you're racing on the international stage. But I also talk a lot about how um, sport is like, yeah, so influential on people's lives. And I think, um, sport for me is the, probably one of the reasons why I'm such a confident individual. Um, the reason why I know I can back myself and I know that, um, I deserve things and, you know, I can go strive to go get that is because I have been doing that my whole life with sport been knowing, backing myself, pushing myself, things like that. And I know that's what everyone does when they do sport. It just helps, um, you know, it helps you be a confident individual. And it, you have to be confident to speak as well. Um, you're trying to talk to probably 90, 10-year-olds. So it's, um, sometimes can get a bit full on. But as yeah. long as you're um, speaking well and having confidence back to that, um, they tend to, you know, listen. And um, whether you get to one of them or all 90 of them, that's the way I look at te um, speaking really is that, as long as one of them's getting the message and can see that sport has changed me, it it'll get through to them. I hope, and then that's all I really want to get out yeah. of it as well. Um, and like, uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, obviously, I don't have any silverware yet from the Paralympics, but I've been lucky enough to witness a few people speak. Um, from the parasite as well, it's like Kaz Cook and things who's been to many Paralympics and stuff. And although it sounds simple giving kids something shiny and heavy, they love it. <laughs> so something like a Paralympic medal, they go bananas over it. Um, and for me, that was really cool because when I was a kid, I thought no one cared about the Paralympics um, and no one sort of, everyone was just watching the Olympic swimming and the, the track events and stuff. But having more access to those things, I've learned that kids don't care if it's Paralympics or Olympics, it's just sport and they've got a shiny medal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for me, that was really exciting because um, me trying and sort of over the past couple of years, sort of learning about what careers I might want to walk down in the future, primary teaching for me really sort of stood out and a little bit of that sort of 
that speaking helped a little bit, but also just seeing how influential sport is on kids and how little they care <laughs> in a way, which is probably a lot of um, people in the general public need to sort of adapt that um, sort of mindset because um, they're, so, they're such simple creatures, really. <laughs> um, and, and it's like... I think that's why I wanted to be a sport teacher so much is because I just like was thinking back to when I was a kid and I was like, imagine if I had a Paralympian as my sport teacher, like that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just thinking about how much sport has set me up in life and also just being in a situation where I could probably actually do that to some other kids. And for me that it, it pulled the heartstrings too much. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm going down that rabbit hole now and applying for unis and stuff like that. Um, and, but yeah, like back to like when I'm speaking, yeah, I don't really have a sad story. I, some people, um, you know, speak about like how they lost their limbs and stuff like that and going like going really deep into the trenches and on, well, not unfortunately, but I don't have a sad story like that. I don't have a story to, you know, teach them about like, um, the mental health and, um, like learning to go through hard times and stuff, but I just speak to what you know, has worked for me and what helps me and that's sport. So, yeah. Um, earlier this year when you did get that double flat and you traveled all the way overseas to do that race, um, I thought you know, like you handled that disappointment so, so well. Um, not everyone handles disappointments that well. Um, do you, what, what, what has like, um, helped you sort of handle disappointments like that? Because it seemed like it was just, um, I've seen you sort of handle disappointments like that quite well in the past with other little things um, as well. You're just like, oh, okay, it is what it is, and you sort of just roll on and, and move on and get, and keep sort of just chipping away. Not everyone does that. Um, uh, it's probably hard to answer. There's probably like a lot of influences in your life that um, have helped you sort of uh, adapt that uh, that ability to um, cope with hardship, but. Um, yeah, do you have any any sort of thoughts there? Yeah, well, I think it's probably a mixture of three things. So it's obviously like going back to like growing up with a disability and everything, yeah. learning how to um, deal with those hardships quite often. So, you know, growing up, um, I speak a lot about how often things work, but not so much about how like the times that it didn't work and things like that, and just learning to chop and change, really. I think I have... a Sometimes it's to my demise, but I have quite a good mixture of caring enough where I'm invested and want results, but also not caring too much that I get too caught up in results and yep. things like that. I think it doesn't have to be just about, you know, a double flat or whether you come sixth or third at a race. I think like for me, it even just comes down to training sessions. And I think one of the main reasons why I think like Touchwood, I haven't had a large injury history and things like that is sometimes getting to sessions and just realizing yeah well i've already done two sessions today so i don't have to bang this one out i just have to show up and roll through the motions and i'll still get benefit i think that you guys probably say that more than anyone at run yeah. training because i'm usually either doing my own set or i've already done stuff that day and i usually do half sets and things like that and sort of you gotta weigh up the benefits of still seeing you know those training benefits and getting that that crucial time in, but also not going overkill and then expecting too much of yourself. And I think like, it's really like looking back, it's really like hard to teeter that line because 
a lot of the time I find myself wanting so much more and then realising that I'm six years younger than everyone else on the start list. And at the same time, it, it really comes down to how you see yourself as well because I see myself as already being done triathlon for five years now and wanting to see better results and things yeah. like that. But then also looking at the start list and realising that I've got so much more time than everyone else to nail things out and just take take that quality time to get there. And that's the same as, you know, dealing with any other situation I have. Um, I had to make the tough call last year in schooling of whether I was going to go unscored or try and finish VCE. And for me, I think the third thing, so like the three things that I sort of had when dealing with hardships, one is just learning how, when to care and when to not care. And the two, the first one was, um, what was the first one? Was it? Oh, my upbringing, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so learning to deal with it through my upbringing. But the third one as well was also just having backup options. I used to have a saying of there's always a way out. Sort of changed it a little bit and there's always a way through, I think. (laughs) So, um, because a way out sort of seems like being a bit of a cop out and you just want to give up. But for me, um, the reason why that double flat was not as influential as it could have been is because I had a race six days later in Spain. So I had an opportunity to come back and I had an opportunity to prove myself again. So I think sometimes it's easier to deal with something when you just move on quickly. The longer you, I think I saw somewhere there's a Netflix, um, show. It's the, the coaches one on Netflix. It was one, um, there's a lady NBA coach anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and she basically said, you've got 24 hours to grieve and then you've got to move on. Yeah. And that's pretty cool because, um, stuff like that really, like it's home for me because I think back and I look back and I had six days between races and I don't even think I cared about that double fat for more than two hours. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I actually threw my bike on the side of the road and yeah. threw a tantrum. I made yeah. sure I got it all out. Yeah. But, um, I very quickly realized that, um, yeah, I've got a bigger race to worry about. And if I get too caught up in this, I'll end up affecting two races and I end up getting third that next race. So um yeah so i think you know and same with my school last year i realized that having six weeks away which i didn't plan for um was gonna pretty much affect my schooling too far beyond for me to come back yeah um and that was partly because i like i said i had that race six days later i didn't know i was going to it until i was already overseas um and i ended up getting put on for another race three weeks after that. So I ended up being overseas for six weeks when I'd only planned to go over for a week. Yep. <laughs> so it was a bit full on. Um, and, but I made that decision and I partly made that decision because I knew that there was a backup option, which is the course I'm doing this year, um, yep. which didn't require, um, an ATAR score. I think it just required a year 12 pass. So that's yep. what I ended up doing. I just went non-scored and passed anyway. Um, and that was, that was a solution for me. And then it's ended up opening a lot more opportunities this year, like being a part of the Richmond Football Club and things like that. I've had access to go work placement at like, you know, the wheelchair football team and stuff like that. I've been to so many schools for work placement and I'm learning every day as well. Like it's a bit full on, it's three days full um, in the city. So it's a bit of a distance travel away from me, but um, it was a good outcome as well. And it's meant that now next year I have the required funding, uh, required, um, learnings, prior learnings to then go to uni anyway. So it's only a year off. So for me as well, it's also meant that I can now look at probably focusing on the Paralympics more rather than being halfway through a uni course. So it's, it's worked out in the end and that's like, yeah, that's why you just gotta 
I guess just sort of keep moving <laughs> yeah. and not let sort of be caught up in things too much. That's amazing advice for someone at your age, um, very mature. Um, <laughs> and no, a lot of people, I'm, I'm, a lot of people will benefit from from um, thinking about like that idea of like caring, but then not caring too much and and making sure you're balanced and you've you see, got. You see quite a lot in yeah. elite, elite sport. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot on the line and there's a lot of hard work going into things, it's very easy to get very carried away with things. And I'm not saying don't care because obviously you need to have motivation and determination to get results in um, elite sport and especially when you're on that top table, uh, top of the table sort of where you can't really change too much and you might not see many results as someone who's just starting out. Yeah. But that's not to say that, you know, like... For me, I had quite a shocking race in Paris. Um, I was sick. I didn't know. Um, I was felt like a fish out of water, really. I felt like I didn't really belong there in terms of, like, I was, like, three minutes behind anyone else in the race, things yep. like that. But the thing about the race in Paris was it was a test event. So I had to recognise that, well, I got everything else done other than a good race. I got to see the course. I got to see the set out. This was a tr- practice. Yes, one. this was a few Reason. months ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Paris with that. Yeah, test event. So, um, I got to see what the city's like, where to eat, things like that. And it was literally just the fact that I didn't have a bad race. I ended up, you know, having a really great race four weeks later in Worlds, um, and that was also recognizing what I did differently and what I should change. So. Things like I came into Paris two days before my race <laughs> and flying a long haul flight into Europe, I recognised that I probably needed a bit longer. So that's why I spent two weeks in Spain before I did my race. And obviously that worked as well. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of trial and error in sport, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I think just by listening to you, you're, you're good at reflecting and and um, going, going, okay, well, how can I get the result that I want? and this didn't work, but how can I get through? Like you said, mm. um, and and then planning. Like um, you've already talked to me about what your plans are for next year, and or some vague plans, and um, in terms of training and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in terms of training, and um, well, before we go into training, like I just wanted to quickly, what do you like doing outside of triathlon? Because I think that's a huge aspect to why you are able to like cope with the times when triathlon's not working and, and you're like, okay, well, um, uh, I just won't care as much at the moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, so um, for me, I have quite a lot of avenues to sort of get it out. So obviously, um, basic things like I have a girlfriend and like yep. family and things like that, which help. My girlfriend's constantly wanting to go on dates, places yeah. and stuff like that, which are no way in shape or form related to triathlon, which is great. <laughs> Um, and she also plays netball, so I also get to be involved with a sport that's not high-performance triathlon as well. I get to just watch, you know, yep. local netball and footy and stuff like that. Um, I also am quite busy with yeah, uni and, like, um, work studies, which is, um, no, that's no disadvantage as well. I love, I love learning about, um, because that's another, that's another side of sport as well, where you're looking at, you know, leading and managing teams and stuff like that, which helps me. Um, also take a sort of a flip side approach on sport and how what's actually involved in you know running teams and stuff like that and making sure that I am aware of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes in like you know team or try and stuff like that yep and then thirdly as well I have a really 
um, expensive love for four driving. <laughs> um, I, I got myself into four driving because my dad. So when I was about five, uh, we did eight months around Australia, um, in a, just a caravan and a car. And, um, from then on, before I was even any shape or form interested in sport, I absolutely loved cars and four driving and stuff. <laughs> And that definitely seeped down into when I when I was um, in the position to buy my own car and things like that. Um, and I do I do use and abuse it quite a lot. Um, I'm probably a bit too much, if anything. Um, I was just talking to Dane earlier about yeah. my long weekend, how it became a bit longer. Um, uh, had my engine pretty much go on my car and. Ended up having to get it towed all the way home and getting a lift home. And we're in road, which is about seven hours away from here. So um, <laughs> it's definitely like everything. It's great when it's going great, but when it's not, it bloody hurts. <laughs> um, and I'm fortunate enough that, yeah, my parents have cars and stuff that I can borrow and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely, it definitely occupies me. I definitely, um, I've been i don't know why i've just been born into a very mechanical mind yeah I, I love working on cars and learning about how they work and things like that which definitely helps with triathlon um in terms of like something that's completely different oh yeah um and like um i think it's always it's a good good knowledge to have as well like um in terms of like not many people have uh, an array of knowledge in cars and things like that and sometimes it can get you out of trouble if something does happen yeah um but yeah it's definitely and camping's good as well it's relaxing yeah. it's it's a really easy avenue to disconnect you know you can go places that don't have service or anything and you're surrounded by nature which is known to you know help you majorly even in terms of relaxing and stuff that's why i was in the country for 28 hours and i was already <laughs> going on a trip somewhere so um <laughs> after worlds but um for me yeah yeah it's it's great um and it's probably the car i chose but it's definitely the activity is still really great and i still had a great time i still ended up once i got the car on a tow truck and sent back home i actually went back to the camp with my mates anyway and spent one last night with them so yeah yeah, yeah it's um it's it's good that's awesome mate um i was about to say that like as much as you like the mechanical aspect i think tied in really nicely with that is the ability to go places different places with your mates and yeah um, and enjoy nature and, and it's different mates yeah. as well um yeah. you know I, I find the a lot of people that tend to get bogged down and very emotional about triathlon the ones that they surround themselves by it like there's always a time and a place to be surrounded by people that help you in triathlon and like-minded in that sense but it's also great to go with people that don't give a shit yeah <laughs> really. exactly, exactly. Uh, like i have a lot of my mates who went for driving with me they they think really highly of me and they respect, you know, that I'm such a high achieving athlete and everything. Yeah. But they also, when it comes to forward driving, they don't care. They just, <laughs> want, they just want to go out forward driving and go um, explore and things like that. So it's really, I don't know, I've always, I've never wanted to stand out when it doesn't matter, if that makes sense. So yeah. um, there's always a time and a place to make yourself known and stand out. And yeah. I think that's heavily tied in with like the Paralympics and funding and stuff like that. But there's also times when people don't really care who you are, what you want. It's just about where you are and what you're doing, really. So things like forward driving and stuff, I find uh, I love just being part of the group, and just sort of settling in a little bit. And that was the same with like triathlon back in the day when I was a junior. I didn't want to 
well, I, I would love to have win races, but I didn't want to stand out in a junior concept or, uh, concept or anything. I just wanted to be another kid racing triathlon, enjoying it, and um, that's still what I strive to today. Um, and yeah. Um, now I wanted to go on to training because a few of the guys from the squad have asked asked about it. Um, Charlie asked, "When are you going to come to the light side and just run?" <laughs> Well, I think, um, like like I've said before, sport is a massive part of being a healthy person and living a healthy life. And I think um, once I do make the call to give triathlon sort of the, the back seat a little bit, I think running is a really cost-effective way to keep fit. And um, I'd probably do it amongst other things. I could probably, you know, if I went on a trip somewhere, I'd just take the shoes and just go on an easy jog to explore, like I said. Um, that exploring aspect of it, I think, is really cool. Um, but yeah, probably not for a few <laughs> decades. I think um, triathlon. And I mean, I still, I still run in triathlon. That's what I told my swim coach and stuff. Um, still swim. I was just in for triathlon. Um, but yeah, running. I think probably the most cost-effective way to stay in sport really you just need a sneakers and that's about it i mean clothes well, your bike clothes cost more than my car my bike costs more than my car um <laughs> it costs more than my parents car <laughs> it's um and yeah it rides fast but it's something that doesn't have a motor it doesn't really add up <laughs> um yeah and like um i think it's like triathlon is very full on. Like I said, it's like it definitely holds up to the name of like three sports in one. Because how many hours a week are you training? Uh, for triathlon? before like a big race or like building into a big race, it's around twenty three hours a week of pretty much you know looking like four or five swim sessions, four rides, about five runs, and then two or three gym sessions as well. So it's yeah. pretty full on. Um, and it's nothing like what those Ironman guys train. I'm training for sprint distance, but it's still very full on in a week. Um, you compare it to something like a part-time job and stuff like that. Um, and which is probably the main reason why I don't actually have a job. So I really rely yeah. on sponsors and funding um, to sort of get by as well as I am doing the uni course. So eventually I will have a proper job and I, that's why I, I do want to do uni and don't want to just do triathlon full-time i think i'd go slightly insane if i just yeah. worried about training and yeah <laughs> and what's next in triathlon so yeah who are your sponsors um so off george just put me on the spot <laughs> uh, off the top of my head i have um dylan orcott's foundation um we also have uh, i'm an ambassador for variety we have the Phillips Coaching Foundation. So there, there are a couple um, who sort of alongside the SESF um, like school uh, program, they wanted to like help fund athletes that are older than school. So that's people in it like Brooks Gratton, um, myself. We've got like Beck Henderson, a few of those. Like you probably know from yeah. like athletics. Yep. Um, and then also as well, I have a lot of like just funding. Like so. Um, donations so yep. i have a full-time page open yeah. but basically uh, i have a link open and you can probably put it in the podcast as yep. well but it's basically just um any businesses or um sort of individuals that want to put in a bit of money um 
but can't put in. So to get a spot on my suit, I have spots in my suit, but to get a spot on the suit, it's a minimum of five grand. Yep. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't have five grand sitting in my pocket, but I'll <laughs> yeah. give you 200 bucks or something yeah. like that. Um, and so that's probably majority of my funding as well as the small budget I get allocated from triathlon. Well, I was triathlon um, in like, that's for like flights and accommodation and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, um, I'd be lying if I said I make money from triathlon. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm still at home with my parents and things like that. So a lot of my costs are covered like food and stuff. But, um, this year I did a lot better than last year. Um, and I pretty much have negated all my costs this year for triathlon. So it hasn't cost me anything other than in terms of like all the funding I've got added up to all the expenses. So last year I had to buy a new bike, which was a big chunk of it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, um, well, once you have a lot of the equipment, it tends to be a little bit cheaper, but it also doesn't help that I'm trying to qualify for a Paralympics. Um, so, uh, instead of having to do maybe two or three international races a year, I've got to do about eight. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. um, it definitely adds up. Cause how many, um, countries did you have to go to or, or trips did you have to do? This year, well, I year. think from memory it was about four trips to Europe. So I went to, yeah. in total, I went to Japan and then I went to Canada and then over to the UK and then back home. Sorry, I went to Japan and back home and then yeah. Canada and the UK and then back home. Yeah. And then I went over to Paris and then back home and then went over to Spain and then back home. <laughs> and that was just this year. Yeah, it was just this year as yeah. well. Um, I'm probably missing one. No, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then. And then next year as well, uh, we've got a few domestic races at the start of the year. So that's, we'll have an Oshie Champs, um, which is like just Oceania. So it's like Australia, New Zealand and a few of the islands. Um, that's not confirmed where it is, but it'll be in Australia somewhere. And then we've got Devonport, which is our like international race that we get in Australia. So um, you know, people from the other countries get to come down to Tasmania and we get to race. So it's good for us because it's like a home advantage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's pretty cheap as well. It's only in Tassie, it's only a 45 minute flight. So, um, and then after that, I'll look at racing Yokohama again. So that's in the qualifying period. Um, as well as uh, Swansea, so that's um, in the UK, and then finally Montreal as well, right at the end. So, looking at still another year, four international races or something like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then, like you said it before, like often when you come down to training, um, like you've had a pretty big day or a pretty big week, so you just jump in for the warm up, do what you feel like you should do in the session. Um, it might be one or two reps of like, you know, the group might be doing six reps, but you just do one or two. Um, that's really mature. Like not, not a lot of athletes wouldn't be able to hold themselves back. Um, but you're able to see the bigger picture. Um, yeah. How do you manage like the fatigue and, and all those multiple training sessions? Um, cause that's a, probably a really good insight. Cause, um, how do you know what to do? Like you've got an overarching coach, um, uh, and but how do you know when to go hard how often do you go hard in each of those three disciplines and and uh how do you yeah how have you worked it out <laughs> yeah. so with um with triathlon most of the time you end up with days where you're doing two or three of those disciplines a day yeah so you've got a sort of um obviously a great coach helps yeah. um and the, the coach really does the bulk of the work, really. I just follow a script. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but you have to sort of sort of 
key out those target sessions. And then obviously on the weekend when you've got a bit more time, you have a few more like peculiar sessions like brick sessions and stuff like that. But yeah. for the most part, I'd go on a limb and say that one of your sort of sessions of that day has to be targeted and the rest are sort of aerobic slash tempo where you're still yep. just, you're just putting volume into the legs. Yeah. Um, as a triathlete, you do a lot of that. Um, you do a lot of just like putting volume into the legs and just yep. getting fitter, just uh, a fitter base yeah. and then building speed off that or strength. Yeah. So for the most part, the hardest sessions are usually like in the gym where you're building those strength as, as a triathlete, that tends to hurt quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then obviously, so like sometimes on a Tuesday when I come to you guys, I don't have much um, left in me. So I usually just um, roll around and join in on, yeah, about half your reps. Usually I tend to get in, but then on Thursday, the swim in the mornings tend the tends to be sort of a bit easier and then I'm like supposed to session if that makes sense that's where I usually hop in for most of the session and stuff like that and mo like most of the time I have a session already on my phone and I either look at what you guys are doing that day and pretty much look at how similar they are and sometimes I'll end up doing something myself or yep. sometimes I'll just hop in with you guys because it's easier yeah <laughs> um so um and yeah so it's it takes quite a lot of like insight and um, just also just trusting your gut as well. You got to know when you're being a bit of a cop out and yeah. being, you know, you got to know when the the benefits really come. And obviously if you're knackered and you can barely move after three sessions that day, you're not going to try and go for a 1K PB. You're just going yeah. to get volume into the legs. And sometimes I find as well, especially when we get later on in the week on like a Sunday long run or something, I ended up feeling better after the run than I do beforehand. Yeah. Because <laughs> once I find once I get the blood flow into the legs and helps sort of oxidize a few of those like fatiguing irons and stuff, I actually feel better. Yeah. Which I think as a triathlete is quite counterintuitive. Most people go, I need to rest more to feel better. Whereas we go, oh, well, if I just finish this run, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think and like other like sessions as well, like brick sessions, like on a Saturday, we do quite a like big brick session it's pretty much like we'll do like quite a intensive ride and then try and see how hard we can run off it yep um and then usually the swim after that which is only about an hour or so after is like a shorter swim so not so much volume and time but still intensive so a bit a bit like um tapering if you will so like the week before i did worlds we did like a brick session um, in Spain and it was pretty much, um, like a few really sort of, um, short, but quite long for effort. So I think they were about like a six minute effort or something, um, on the bike and then, um, you'd have a rest and you do another one and then you come off the bike straight into four minutes hard on the run. So just over a K yeah. and especially when it was my fourth day in Spain and it was really hot and humid, yeah. it bloody killed me. And then... <laughs> And then we did that twice through as well. So, yeah. um, so it ended up being, yeah, about 30 K of hard riding and about six K of hard running and it bloody, it cooks you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think as well, um, uh, it's something that I've had to really sort of try and focus on this year mainly is that taking nutrition and recovery as serious as training itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that like, okay, there's training stress, but that's, you're not going to get the benefits if you're not doing the rest. Yeah, exactly right. So I find um, I eat more um, 
than anyone around me by double. <laughs> um, especially now that I've spent more time with my girlfriend who's quite like a normal human being, I'd say, who, you know, might miss breakfast here and there and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. I can't afford to do that. Yes. I have to take it quite seriously to the point where I'd wake up half an hour before her just to have a shower, eat, maybe eat again and then, <laughs> and then go off to school and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, as a triathlete, you have to be very conscious because it's very easy to... Um, not get as much calories in as you're putting out. I think like in sports and running, like running and swimming and stuff, if you miss a day by a few hundred calories or something, it's not too bad. But it's like being that we're like tripling the sessions, yeah. it's very easy to lose track. Like, you know, a, a really long ride is like 1,500 calories. Um, like a two-hour ride is like 1,500 calories. And when you put that into like meals perspective, that's like one and a half meals pretty much. Like, So yeah. you have to be really on it as well as – um, spending time in Spain, a lot of hydration. Like I went from like having like three liters of fluids a day in Victoria to about like four and a half in Spain, just cause it's intensive and you're sweating so much more. Yes. Um, and it's just being conscious really. Um, I think as an athlete, if you're starting to see the repercussions, it's already too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, because especially in triathletes, you don't tend to see tiredness or, um, lack of energy as being one of the main hints it usually just ends up being straight to a stressy <laughs> yes um yeah. and uh yeah so like and you don't want that because you'd rather have another meal a day than be out of triathlon for two <laughs> months yeah um and yeah and i i like i see it quite often um as soon as someone tries to put a bit more load in and they're not eating to counter that it yeah bang stressy <laughs> yeah and then you know you've it's it's quite a really it baffles me sometimes that people get so caught up in the rat race and yeah it's very i find it hard to believe that people are so conscious on how many hours they're training or who's doing what k's it's a bit similar to running it's like yeah. oh he ran that amount of k's this week but then they don't do the same with their food you know yeah um, yeah and like one of my main competitors from australia david he's a nutritionist mm -hmm. and he um absolutely loves talking about food and <laughs> uh, when i'm overseas it really helps um i've got to give some credit where credit's due because yeah. he's always looking for places to eat and good places good food and stuff like that and yep. it pretty much takes the guesswork out of it for me i tend to just follow along and they um i had a really good chat with him in uh yokohama about how like as a 19 year old i don't want someone to like tell me what to do or like do it for me i just want a little bit of guidance so i just yep. want to i just want someone to say oh we're going here for lunch what do you reckon and then i'll yep. most likely come along because um i'm sort of trusting that they know what's going on um yep. and it could it could um hit me hit me in the achilles one time and you <laughs> never know like um it could it could prove to be in my demise we could all get sick or something but <laughs> for the most part like um yeah i tend to just and people always um, especially at uni, they see what I ate and they're like, geez, how you, why are you eating that? I'm like, well, any food's good food, really. Yeah, like, yeah. So she's a triathlete. As long as you're getting something in your gob, it doesn't really matter. As long as it's not absolutely yeah. trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things like donuts and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm burning it off so I can afford to, you know, eat, yeah. eat a few more um, yeah. sugary and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's quite, it's quite funny. <laughs> what about sleep? Um, like some of the early morning swims that you have to do, and just to fit the training in, like, how do you ensure you get enough sleep? Like, are you quite, you said you 
have to be pretty particular with your nutrition just so that you're fueling your training what about sleep is it the same there yeah so i'll be the first to admit that some nights i don't get enough sleep (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and i think as you, it's, it's it's the same with eating and it's the same with rocking up to training sore if you know you've had a shit night's sleep just don't push it <laughs> yeah um yeah. you know and love a good nap as well when yeah. i can <laughs> yeah naps are really good especially if you don't have that time say you're getting up early and you because you sometimes you can't control it as well sometimes no matter how hard you try if you wake up at 4 30 and you're tossing and turning and you can't get to sleep you just that's when you just have to recognize okay well i couldn't get to sleep last night so i'm not gonna go ham today yeah because it's the same same concept really sleep is recovery pretty much that's what i sort of attribute it to um a lot of people say it's other things like energy and stuff and everything but i think that the main reason for sleep is recovery and you might feel fresh but it's not to say you're fully recovered and vice versa like same same you could do stresses or pull muscles and stuff like that um and I'm not perfect as well. I can say that I've gone way too hard when it's when I haven't had enough sleep. But I think it's more of a, a it builds up. I think one night's sleep where you don't have a great sleep is probably not the end of the world. But if you're yep. having four or five nights in a row where you're not getting enough sleep, maybe just sleep in on the weekend to catch up. Because, um, like I found, like um, coming home from being overseas, I had my fault i had a few nights where i was out drinking late after the race <laughs> and didn't got barely any sleep and yeah. when i like got when i got home and everything i just had to just sleep yeah <laughs> um even though i had things to do during the day just had to go sleep because um it was more important than you know i had a seven hour drive to go do so i didn't want to um you know i didn't want to risk you know crashing or something like that just because you didn't get enough sleep so yeah i think when you can just sleep yeah i haven't heard anyone say they've gotten too much sleep yes (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. that's definitely an area that i need to work on too (laughs) oh well fair enough though but to be to your credit though you're not taking your marathon training as seriously now that you've got two kids yes so you can't you can't beat yourself you have taken it a step back (laughs) um and yeah who who's your triathlon coach and uh what's going on there and then um I guess um, I probably want to finish finish off um, also with like who have your biggest mentors, role models, and most influential people been in your life that you really feel have shaped you, um, yeah, you know, or you look up to. Yeah, so my coach, I've had her for two years, yeah, um, and she's been really good at sort of helping me go from. The, the eager junior who you yeah. know was probably way too oblivious to the what's required of an elite athlete yeah um and sort of shaping me to be a really sort of mature individual sort of and just um not falling too far down the the steps of what other people get caught up with in you know like yeah. a lot of elite athletes get like overstressed and stuff like that yeah and um and yeah so she's been really good at also building like the training up as well so i've gone from when i was a junior probably doing like 12 hour weeks and stuff like that and like 15 hour weeks down up to like you know those like massive weeks and stuff and that's taken time as well that's taken the whole two years so that that side of it's been really good i haven't had any injuries like touch wood (laughs) yeah um and everything like that so that side of it's been really good 
um, from an athlete point of view and she's pretty easy to work with as well, pretty understanding around school and um, my commitments as well and understanding like what sort of sessions I can make and not, especially last year as well with school being that it was like five days a week so recognising that I could only sort of come on the weekends and stuff like that. Um, and then um, like moving forward, like really great at races, it just in a way, it sounds a bit selfish, but just prioritising us. Sometimes she gets put on the team for everyone's coach, but she still makes sure that we're sort of looked after and we get what we want because it's a, it really is a, it's a fight for the survival sometimes and getting what you, um, what you just need to perform well sometimes, which is quite, quite sad in in truthfulness. Like um, triathlon is still a ways away from being as set up as like say swimming or athletics. Same with their funding. We don't get much funding as a sport. Um, this is only our third Paralympic cycle. Um, so really sort of just trying our hardest to make um, whatever results we can. Because um, it's a bit hard because I, I know the way that um, funding gets allocated in the Paralympics and it's pretty much the more medals you win, the more money you get. Yeah, okay. And for sports like athletics and swimming, you've got so many opportunities to win so many medals, whereas triathlon, we've only got to select a few um so i i get i get why we don't have funding and everything but it still doesn't make it any easier on us yep um and then yeah it's like a few of my role models probably um and a few of those sort of key people i think um i'd i'd start from the start really i'd just go to my junior group that i was with down here in the peninsula i made some really good friendships from there and that was really what helped me fall in love with triathlon um yeah, you, and, you and Tom Jansen. Yeah, like, I was going to say, Tom, oh, yeah. I like, pretty much owe most of my career to Tom, <laughs> yeah. really. Um, what we, a great friendship. Yeah, yeah. We, we worked as a power duo for a while, and unfortunately he's not doing the sport anymore, but that's not to say he still doesn't support me. He's a bloody yeah. ripper. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like even like introducing you to me and things yeah. like that back in the day, and just especially through COVID as well, we, we saw a lot of people fall out of love with triathlon because it was just way too hard to do it, but we still found a way. I'm pretty sure uh, I spent about three, four weeks in total at his house during yeah. COVID, just <laughs> literally training and doing school and just doing that, which, um, I like I said, I probably owe half my career to him. <laughs> um, and then on top of that as well, people I sort of like look up to, uh, people like... Um, our, our best performing triathlete at the moment is uh, Matt Hauser yep. from the Gold Coast. And he he has a really great attitude on life in just terms of race hard, party as hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, nah, but he, he has a really good balance between things like his girlfriend and his family, triathlon, and yep. also like um, helping people, you know, fall in love with triathlon and stuff. And he's probably one of the select few elite athletes with a profile as big as him that's actually still replies to your messages and still chats to you and things like that yeah and it's really been quite funny for me because i've gone from a position where i used to fangirl over him and (laughs) text him how good he was doing at races and stuff and now i sit in the same room as him and race the same races as him so (laughs) it's quite it's quite a turn of events but yeah he's he's still one of the nicest people i've spoken to to date yeah. And um, really just has a great attitude on um, training and racing, but also just making sure that you do celebrate when you need to. Yeah. And that's not to say going out and partying and stuff. Yeah. That's just genuinely celebrating. And yeah. he's had his fair share of um, 
times in the dirt as well. Like he's had long COVID this year. Yep. Um, so he got it early on in the year. I had to have two months of... He raced like, pretty well really, recently. Yeah, so yeah. he had he had like two months of like really low training, pretty much like barely anything. Okay. Then came back and raced in Yokohama yeah. and he ended up getting second Yeah. in a sprint finish, which someone coming back from long COVID is like incredible. And then unfortunately for him, he then got COVID again before Paris, so he couldn't uh-huh. race at the test event. Yeah. Um, but... And same again, he was struggling with recovering from that COVID for that sort of five weeks between Paris and Worlds. Yep. He ended up coming, pulling something out of somewhere and <laughs> racing really well at Paris and getting an auto-collie spot for the uh, for the Olympics next year. Yeah. So that, that side of it, that's something that I look up to and just Jeez. being that high of a performer that you can still cope with. All be good with the people. Yeah. Um, love life. Yeah. Get put down and still race hard like um that for me is incredible um and i actually luckily for me i get compared to him quite a lot in the way i balance life and things yeah, like that yeah. which i can't take any credit for like i'm just doing <laughs> what i do but i definitely it's definitely a good um compliment to have because he's doing something right and um especially in a time in triathlon australia where arguably we're going through quite a slump in results and things like that like Maybe not so much on the para side, but more on the able-bodied side. We're struggling to even get those top 10 sometimes. And we're still working through that. And that's no it's no, no one's fault in particular, but there is a few underlying issues in triathlon that we're working through. Um, not me, myself. I have no idea what's going on. But, <laughs> um, but um, you know, he's still performing and still racing the best out of everyone, despite what's going on, on behind the scenes. So, yeah, it's definitely... Um, like yeah, amazing <laughs> and then probably just my parents as well <laughs> nice. they're, they're really good um yeah. i find as well especially when i find that i maybe am not caring about things as much as i could be yeah they are um very quick to rape me a new one and just let me know <laughs> let, a let, reminder. <laughs> let me know that i have to be just stop being um a little bit entitled and just work hard um which is yeah all, i'm all for it i mean yeah. Um, you know, I probably sound a bit psycho, but I'm more than happy for someone to let me know when I'm you know, not not trying hard enough and things like that because yeah. most of the time I end up changing my attitude pretty quickly. Um yeah. and yeah, so that's it, I think other than yeah. <laughs> that's about that's about that's great, I, man. I, I think that's been an amazing insight to yeah. you as a person and um your story so far. And so many listeners will now like know more about you and you know have someone else to really back and follow going into paris 2024 and hopefully all going well fingers crossed everything goes well there and um follow follow your triathlon career with interest mate um yeah so yeah thanks so much for jumping on and and um you know spending the time with me and, and sharing your story story so far that's all right oh yeah. yeah um that was a pleasure i'll just yeah. probably yeah. Last thing yeah. I'll finish off with is probably just um, if anyone has heard my story and wants to uh, put a bit of funding in or something, um, yeah. I'll get Dane yeah. to put the uh, a link in afterwards. Yeah, yeah I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so um, and anyone can also follow. Look at me on socials as well and follow the journey as well. Rufa, mate, um, yeah, thanks. A pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for the chat. No, thanks. My yeah. pleasure. <laughs>